the rest of us turn to hear God's word this morning, we seek to receive it with both reverence and humility. The summons to the word found in your bulletin helps us to do just that. Let's read it together. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This morning's scripture reading is taken from 1 James verses 19 to 27. In the blue Bibles, you can find it on page 1043. Page 1043. Again, the text is 1 James verse 19 through 27. In this text, James summons his listeners to be genuine hearers. That is, those who hear and heed the word of God in such a way that it leads to a life of helping those who are hurting most. Hear now the word of the Lord from James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the word world. Thank you, Nancy. Good morning again. It's good to have all of you with us this morning. Before jumping into the book of James this morning, we've been walking through that. We're in our uh, fourth sermon, our series on James. Uh, I'm going to mention a few things. First, uh, after the service this morning, uh, for our Voices of St. Louis Sunday School Adult Series, we're going to be having um, a detective, Mike Gillian, is going to be coming speaking to us this morning. Uh, Mike is a... Um, he kind of wears, a, if I understand it right, wears a, a sort of dual hat. He works for the South County Police Department, but also is uh, working uh, with the DEA. Um, he works in the area of counter-narcotics counter and is going to be speaking to us about just the drug problem in St. Louis and here in South County. Um, again, the, whole, the, the, the entire point of the Voices of St. Louis Sunday School series is to hear from our neighbors, to hear from our community, to hear from our city. And I mention it primarily because I asked him, I said, what, what uh, as he gives us the presentation, what ages will this presentation be appropriate for? And he said, ah, it's hard to say, but he said, you know, junior high school would be welcome. Um, and for you parents, if you would like to have your children who are younger than that present, I'll probably have my kids present, um, you're welcome to do so. So it's entirely up to you. Just kind of coordinate with your Sunday school teacher about that. Let them know if they'll be in the class or not. So obviously that requires parental um, 
you know, just some, some, some thought, their discernment. So some parents are, would, might, or, might, might or might not be comfortable with that. But I'm very excited to have Mike here. The second thing I wanted to mention was I just wanted to give a, a shout out to the Women's Steering Committee. Um, yesterday they had a wonderful, an incredibly good event. I heard about it in the last 24 hours from several ladies who attended saying how incredibly encouraged they were. So Kathy, Michelle, Nancy, thank you so much. You ladies rock. It's really it's just wonderful to have you in leadership. And Karen, thanks so much for, for hosting uh, the, the event, opening it for home like that. So as we turn to, the, to the, consider the, the word of the Lord this morning that Nancy has read for us, uh, let's begin with prayer. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth and plant it deep in us. Shape and fashion us in your likeness. That the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. Teach us, Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. Test our thoughts and our attitudes in the radiance of your purity. Cause our faith to rise. Cause our eyes to see your majestic love and authority. Words of power that can never fail. Let their truth prevail over unbelief. Speak, O Lord, and renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us, truths unchanged from the dawn of time that will echo down through eternity. And by grace we'll stand on your promises, and by faith we'll walk as you walk with us. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, in chapter 1 of James, uh, we see this, uh, this wonderful portrait here, a number of things going on. James is very exhortational, as I mentioned. He's like that one family member in your church, or in your, in, in your extended family, who just calls a spade a spade, says the awkward thing, and James just calls us out. And he has a, a general theme through his exhortations in the chapter 1, and this general theme is what he calls trials. Trials. That is, situations that are painful and put us to the test. That's what he calls them, trials. But another word that we might use to, to describe these trials is a crisis or crises. And a crisis, what's a crisis? Well, the Oxford English Dictionary says that a crisis is a time when difficult or important decisions must be made. And it's a time when a difficult or important decision must be made. And it's, it's actually from the Greek word crisis, meaning, meaning decision, crisis. See, the idea is that trials are crises in the sense that they reveal what matters most to us. We're confronted in a situation where we have to make a decision, and that trial, that hardship, that struggle reveals who we really are but by the actions that we make. So James has urged us so far in chapter 1, we'll do a little bit of review here, he's urged us, he is with this basic thesis. He has said, listen, every crisis that we encounter is there to complete us. Isn't that crazy? He actually says that our pain is not pointless. That the hardships we have actually have a reason that actually there is a God 
who actually does not and will not waste our suffering if we turn in faith to him. And so he says, he exhorts us. And throughout chapter one, he begins and, he begins and says, uh, first and foremost, in crisis, true faith is confident. We see that in verse two. True faith is confident. It's calling out to God for wisdom, verse 5. It's recommitting itself to the Lord. True faith is confident in the midst of crisis, refusing to condemn God. That's what he goes on to say here. Just so beautiful in verses, um, verses 13 through 15. He says, look, this trial, this testing in your life is there, not because God is mean, because God wants to, wants to show you who we really are. And that's one of the hard things about, about, about hardships and crises. They reveal, like I mentioned earlier, suffering reveals who we really are. And that's sometimes that's very hard to see. Wow, it's hard to see. When I, when I think about, I think of myself, I think of how, I think I'm a good person, I think I'm, you know, I'm better than most. And then I get in hardships and difficulties, I get in conflicts and situations. And I think, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. Right? And the reason we can't believe it is because we're surprised by ourselves. We don't know ourselves. And James wants to call us out of that. In fact, if you just look, look here, look at the text here, our text for today, Luke, uh, James chapter 1, twice and twice in these few verses, James calls us away from self-deception. Look at verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Wow. James is saying there's a type of following Jesus, a type of being a Christian, where you show up every Sunday at church, nod, sit there, evaluate the sermon, funny illustration, little sermon was a little long, okay, it was really long, and you walk away, and there's not a single thing changes. Nothing. And it's utter self-deception. Again, he says in verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. Isn't that amazing? They deceive themselves. And it's like, again, twice, like you and I have this capacity to have this pretense about who we are that is dangerous. And guess what? The good news, the hard news, is that actually trials bring out who we really are. And the point God isn't here, the point of these trials isn't simply to end there, but it's to begin there, to begin recognizing this is who I really am. And it's once I realize that I'm a sinner that I can be forgiven. And once I'm forgiven, then I can learn to forgive others. See, it's only those who, who receive mercy who show mercy. It's only those who are the 10,000 talent sinners, the great sinners, who can then turn around and love other sinners. As we'll see here in, this, in, the, in, this, in these verses itself, our, our criticism, our inability to forbear with others says more about us than it does about them, that we are actually out of touch with ourselves. So again, just to review, James is saying every crisis that we encounter is designed by our Heavenly Father to complete us, to grow us, to make us the kind of persons that he wants us to be. It's an amazing thing. And so because of that, he calls us to cry out to God for wisdom. If we get into a crisis, we, we're, we're overwhelmed, we don't see how God is working, we're to call out for wisdom, to get on our knees and say, God, show me. 
What are you doing here? Help me to see. And not to remain isolated and alone, but to surround yourself. God actually brings wisdom into our lives, not just through some epiphany. He can do that. He does it through other Christians. He does it through seeking help from wise counselors. And so, and so he calls us, he, he, he said in Christ, we're, we're to call to God and we're to re- recommit ourselves to him. And rather than condemn him, confess our sin and look to the one who truly cares for us. So he said what he said so far. And so I want to ask the question this morning, as we jump into the text in front of us, I want to ask this question. When I'm hurting, when I'm hurting, when I'm in the midst of crisis, who do I want to hear from? Who do I want to hear from? In other words, in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, who am I li- to whom am I listening and why? See, nothing really reveals who, whose opinion really matters like suffering. And James is going to call us actually to, to he's going to urge us, in fact, that in crisis, that we are to be first and foremost hearers. Hearers. Now, that may sound very simple. It may sound like almost just pedantic and like just like, well, duh. But you would be amazed in the midst of suffering how easily you and I simply shut everyone else out. How quick we are to do that. In our conflicts and situations in life, big and small, we are so quick to shut everyone out. And listen to what he says in verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, really it's translated, my beloved brothers and sisters, he cares for them so much. He says, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. In Christ, as true Christians are hearers. They are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I may just again, and what's, what's, what's important here is he says everybody. I don't know about you, maybe you're thinking, I know someone here who needs to hear this. All right? Boy, I'm so glad my spouse is here. Or I wish my spouse were here. I'm so glad my kids are here. He's everyone. Everyone needs to be quick to listen. And if you will, turn with me to, uh, I think it's in Proverbs here. I want to show you something. It's a wonderful proverb. It's Proverbs, eight, Proverbs 18, 13. Proverbs, it's in the Old Testament. Turn to the left. Proverbs 18, 13. Uh, it's on page, I'll find it here, 1813. It's on page 557, 557. Page, uh, Proverbs 1813. If you know the Proverbs is part of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, James himself is building on this wisdom literature. He himself has the same, exhorts us with the same sort of wisdom and pithiness and candor. And look, look at what, look, listen to what Proverbs 1813 has to say. To answer before listening. That is folly and shame. When you and I answer, when we respond, when we, re- when we reply before listening, says that is our folly and our shame. See, the temptation, the temptation in crisis is simply to think, you know what? I know all there is to know already. I don't need to ask more. I don't need to listen more. Maybe and we don't think to maybe you stop and just say, hey, wait a minute. Maybe I don't fully understand the situation. And I tell you what, God gang, this destroys relationships. It does. It destroys churches. It destroys businesses. It destroys families. 
When we don't stop in humility and say, you know what, maybe I haven't heard everything. And ask. Say, let's sit down. I'll tell you what I know. You tell me what you know. And we'll, work, we'll, build, we'll build this thing together. Listen to me. You will never discover the truth on your own. You won't. Truth is always a community effort. Always. You ha- we have to listen to one another. So in crisis, Christians are to be hearers. And I can't tell you how many times just in my marriage, in my, as a husband, as a father, as a friend, how many times I have hurt others because I just haven't listened. There were things I just didn't know. And I assumed the worst. It's called, pre, it's called premature, unshareable judgment. And gang, it just destroys. Let me ask you a really tough question. If you today were to go to people who know you well, family, friends, coworkers, and they were to, you were to ask them this following question, what would they say? Am I a good listener? Do I listen well? Do I proactively stop, say, time out, assume, I'm going to start, my starting point will be that I don't know everything there is to know. That there is probably vital information that I, I just haven't heard yet. That sort of a question is very convicting. It reveals, it reveals what kind of persons we are. It reveals pride. See, now here's the thing. It's a pride, and that pride jumps to conclusions, and that pride leads us to speak quickly and to go from, from speaking to anger, from accusation to anger. Because I know there is, I already know all there is to know, and my view of the world must be right, and in that view of the world, you are wrong. And I'm so sure of it. Based on what I know, it's the only logical conclusion. And you're right. Based on what you know, it is the only logical conclusion. But there's so much you don't know. And that anger is unleashed with a godlike capacity. I know all there is to know. I am omniscient. And I am angry. And you are wrong. And it's deadly. And James goes on to tell us, he goes over in these words, he says, he says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. It's not going to bring about righteousness. It's not going to bring about justice. It's not going to bring out what is beautiful and what is flourishing. It's not going to bring out the, 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 the kind of world that God longs for, that he desires. It's not going to happen. All because we didn't stop and listen. Again, he who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. Gang, I see it all the time. In, as a, I saw it in the Air Force. I saw it in, uh, in, the, in the corporate world. I've seen it in the church. I've seen it where, where persons, where employees, where um, persons, um, uh, subordinates, uh, where congregants, they come and they, st- they come in. It's amazing. Guns blazing. This is what I've seen. This is what I've done. And they attack leaders and they just, they just, they just mow them over. 
And it's amazing to watch. It's an amazing sight to watch. And sometimes, you know, I, t- I do take it wrongly. I take it personally. Most of the time, I just think, I just think wow, see, there's so much this person just doesn't know. And it's so sad. And as leaders, we grieve it. It's grievous. We sit there and we think, oh. And they open their mouth and they say the most foolish and paranoid things. And it's like, time out, time out, whoa, whoa, whoa. And it's like, you can't, you can't break through because they're so sure, they're so certain. And it's heartbreaking to watch. And you recognize the level of self-deception all because they haven't listened. So true Christians in crisis are quick to listen. They're hearers. They're hearers. They're slow. And again, look at what the text says. It's very careful. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Doesn't mean you should never speak. There's a way of, of, of being in crisis where we just shut down. We just stop speaking. We don't actually say our part. We're actually cowards. We actually just stop. I'm just going to just. I'm just going to not say a word. How many times have I had encountered uh, persons in ministry who said, "You know what? As a parent, or you know what? As a spouse, or you know what? As a brother in the Lord, as a friend, I saw another person in, in, a, in a difficult situation, and the time came to speak, and I said nothing. The time came and it went, and now it's forever too late. There is a time to speak." but first to listen, then to speak. And there is a time to be even become angry. It doesn't say don't ever become angry. There is a time to become angry. God forbid there are certain situations in which we see that we do not become angry. Husbands, when your wife is being run over by the kids, it's time to get angry. Not, 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 just, not just irate, not out of control, but it's good for them to see that it is not okay for them to run over their mother. Does that make sense? There are times to be angry. And there are times I've even said to Sarah, I look at Sarah and I'll say, Sarah, I'm going to get angry at the kids. Just hold on. Does that make sense? So it's a controlled, it's pre-planned, it's premeditated, it's calculated. Does that make sense? It's not just some reckless, it's not just dad just sort of losing it in front of the kids. There's a time and a place to be angry. In our workplaces, there's a time to be angry. When you see co-workers mistreated, overworked, whatever it might be, there are times to say, you know what, this is enough. This is not okay. This is unjust. There's a time and a place in our society, in our culture, to talk about racism and oppression and injustice and sex and all manner of things. There are things to be angry about. But not until we first have listened I mean, the amount of anger, the, man, the amount of virtuosity in our culture over issues of race and racism is astonishing. And it's amazing how few people stop to actually listen to the situation. That's why I'm so excited about in, in the, on, the, on the Sunday mornings we're in our Sunday school class when we don't have guests coming in, we're going to continue this ongoing dialogue about race that we started several weeks ago. And it was good, wasn't it? It was so helpful to sit and talk about these things that are very difficult to talk about. And I'll tell you what, I don't have all the answers, but I've listened. I've listened a lot. I'm 46, 47 books into listening from all different sides, perspectives, talking to per- persons, listening, and there, is, there are things to say, and there's a time to be angry. But in general, verse 20, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And so in the midst of crisis, before, talk, before talking, before doing anything else, we are to examine ourselves, verse 21, therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And listen to this, humbly accept the word planted in you. So the first point is, the first is, in Christ's Christians hear, they're hearers. And what are they hearing first and foremost? Verse 21b, 
Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Because this is so important. Look back to verse 18. Let me just stop right now and say, you know, if you were to ask yourself, am I a Christian? Do you ever doubt that? you ever wonder if you're a Christian? Do you ever say, you know, is this, is, this, is this real? Am I really a Christian? Where am I really going? Where is my destiny? He tells us there in verse 18. It's a beautiful, beautiful statement. He, that is God, chose us. He chose to give us birth through the word. How did you become a Christian? How, did, how were you birthed into the family of God? Through his word. You know you are a Christian when you listen to his word. When I go to the playground, you know how you can, you can tell whose kids or whose parents, you know, whose kids have which parents, you can match up the parents and the kids, you know how? Because the children, in general, in theory, are listening to their parents. Several times I've been in a, you know, in, a, in a playground, and some of their parent has said something to my kids. And it's just, my kids are like, who are you? You're not my dad, you're not my mom, right? It's kind of this, this awkward sort of exchange, like, do I have to obey you because... You're not my parent. We are the children of God if we listen to God's word. If we listen to it first, to it foremost. It's very simple. Some of you may know the name Bart Ehrman. Bart Ehrman is a professor of uh, early Christianity at the University of North Carolina. Ehrman was, uh, he went to Wheaton for his, uh, for his undergrad, went to Princeton for his PhD in New Testament studies. And he was, as a young man, he was a Christian. And through his studies at Princeton, uh, came to lose his faith. Just, you know, the Bible's not reliable. I can't trust that. I can't figure out how some of these things fit together. He lost his faith. And now he uh, has written a number of books, and, and, and his classes is, just, is, is incredibly antagonistic to Christianity. And one of the things that he does in his, his, his sort of Christ, early Christianity 101 class, and this has become something, something famous uh, within New Testament studies, sort of there's one of these legend sort of uh, um, uh, urban myth things that's actually true, urban legend sort of things that's actually true. But he, um, what he will do with his students, because again, this is the University of North Carolina, so this is the Bible Belt, and he'll have a lot of uh, Christians, uh, or at least nominal Christians, come to his class. And he will start out, he lets them, he'll do the first, first, first um, couple lectures. He'll say, how many of you are evangelical Christians? Raise your hand. And the students raise their, you know, some, you know a, a, a good number of the students raise their hand. And he says, keep your hand up if you've actually read the whole Bible. Ooh. So you're telling me that you think that God, this is God, the scripture is from God, that it's inerrant, that it's authoritative, and you haven't even read the whole thing. And he begins to ask them questions, and he says, why is it that I know the Bible better than you do? We are to be hearers, listeners of God's word, especially in the midst of crisis. We are to humbly hear and heed God's word. And why? Listen to this. This is so important. Why do we do that? In order to be healed. Look at the text. Where does, that say, where does, it, where does it say this in the text? Verse 21, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Here the, 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 the verb save has this notion of healing, of restoring. The idea that in crisis we're hurting we're not healthy, we're in, a, we're in a bad place, and the word is there to heal you. Isn't that beautiful? 
It's there to save you. It's there to restore you. So in crisis, Christians hear, they humbly hear the word so that they can be healed. And they, they avoid a hypocrisy. Look at verse 22. Do not really listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word, verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So this idea, there's two ways of looking at the, of listening to the word. There's sort of a, a listening that's just sort of a, a, a passing by. Just passing by. So you're walking along, you know, you're walking along, you know, down, down the, the, a, uh, say a strip mall or something like that, and you look over and you look at, see, you see at the window, and you see a reflection, and you just keep going. You stop by Sunday morning, hear the word, move on. Every Sunday you stop in, it's passed by, you're just passing by. And in contrast to that, this passing by is a pausing and a pondering of God's word. Look what he says in verse 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. Whoa, what a description of God's word. The more we neglect God's word, the more constrained, the more imprisoned, the more enslaved we will be. But whoever looks intently, pauses, looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So do you understand? If we don't just pass by, if we pause and we ponder God's word, it will bring freedom and it will bring flourishing. That is blessing. That word blessed, they will be blessed. That means that your life will flourish. There will be freedom and flourishing. Because guess what? The story of the Bible is all about one thing. It is about freedom. What is the greatest story ever told? It's the book of Exodus. It is a story of, of, of people who were nobodies, mere property, oppressed, and a God who says, that's it, I've had enough. And looks at Pharaoh and says, you let my people go. It is a story of freedom. And you read the Old Testament law, you think, ah, oh, really, the law? He wants us me to read the law. You go read the law. You know what the most common, the most common exhortation and command in the Old Testament law is? care for the nobodies. Love and have deep concern for the foreigner, the widow, the oppressed, the outsider. Why? He said, because you were slaves in Egypt. You were nobodies, so you should look out for nobodies. Isn't that beautiful? See, the, 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 the old, if we read the Old Testament, we read the Bible, we will discover there's freedom there for us, and it puts us on a mission of freeing others. It is a mission of liberating. If we just pause and we ponder God's word. You know, there's nothing more encouraging than when I, when I receive from one of you a text or an email saying, you know, I'm reading my Bible right now, and I just, what is going on here? I have no idea. Or you say, I don't get this. What, what, is, what does Jesus mean when he says this? Wonderful. I get from David Gregory, I'll get these texts in the morning. He's here on 7.15, 7.20. He's like, yeah, what does Jesus mean when he says this? I love that. And I say, and I say David, anytime you text me, I'll text you back. That's, I mean, that's, the, that's the kind of question I love getting. It, just tells, it lets me know you guys are in the Word, you're wrestling with it. It's so beautiful. So in Christ, as Christians are to be hearers. But hearers specifically of the Word. A Word that will bring freedom and flourishing. Now, why do they do that? Again, to receive healing. But it's not only to receive healing. 
Look at verses 26 and 27. We Christians are hearers so that they themselves can be healed, to be saved, to be healed, so that then we can have a real life agenda, a real religion, not a fake one, not a, not a futile one, but a real one. Look at verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and you do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion's worthless. You say, if, not, if you're, all you're doing is about speaking and talking and you're not into hearing, your religion's worthless. Verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, the religion of the Old Testament, the religion of freedom, to do two things, to help the hurting, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. See, Christianity is about one thing. It is about, Jesus came to this world to do one thing, to help the nobodies. To be a friend to the outsider. Classically, that's called the orphan and the widow. James here is using, being very specific. He's not actually saying that everyone has to know an orphan and a widow. He's using it as a category a social category saying, are you the kind of person who wants to engage the people that no one else wants to engage? The invisible people, the uncool people, the, the people who can give you nothing back, supposedly. Are we a community that has eyes to see the invisible people? So we are hearers, hearers in order to be healed and once healed, that we are those who are there to help the hurting, but also to live holy lives. Look at the rest of verse 27. See, it's not just about social justice out there. It's not only just about helping those who are lowly, those who are hurting. It's also about living a holy life. A religion that our God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It's a life of holiness, a life of difference, a life of not ending up as damaged goods. This sort of corruption where we're just like the world and we look at ourselves one day and we look in the mirror and we think, how did I become what I become? And we don't like what we see in the mirror because we've let ourselves become polluted by the world. Do you have ears to hear? The very heart of the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, there is one thing the wise person does, is they hear. And again, let me ask you, do you dare go to loved ones, persons who know you well, and ask them, what kind of listener am I? When I get into conflict with you, when I'm good, when times are hard, do I stop and listen? Listen to others and listen to his word most of all. You know, you may have to leave here today needing to share some things with someone. Pull your spouse, your kids aside, coworkers, a boss, a subordinate, I don't know. And say, you know what? I've been a terrible listener. Or I, listen, I only hear what I want to hear. And I want to change that. I want to begin to hear things that are hard to hear. I want to be approachable. I want to grow. That's the scariest thing about, about self-deception, about refusing to listen. You just don't ever grow. You stay the same. 
You stay, you stay very immature, you stay very childlike, very adolescent, and you just never grow. It's one of the scariest things. In the, uh, but listen to this. This has been maybe a hard message to hear. Let me close with this. When I was uh, in the Air Force, I had a coworker, and we were, uh, we were, at, we were out traveling, actually. We were out uh, visiting a, a contractor, like Boeing or somebody like that. And, uh, and he, he, I remember him, and we were talking, and we got, somehow we got on the, 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 just the topic of the Bible. And he said this, he said something that I, I really was quite surprised by. He, he said, you know, he said, I, he grew up in the North, he says, you know, I grew up Catholic. And he said, I never really read the Bible. But in high school, I decided that I was going to sit down and read the Bible. I thought, wow, this is going to be interesting to see where this goes. And then he said, I got into it. He says, I got three or four books into it. And he says, I realized I stopped reading. He says, because here's, I'll tell you why. He said, because all the heroes in the Bible, they're all jerks. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jake, that guy Jacob, he was, he was just worthless. And I said, how, how can I follow a God where all the people are just jerks and don't listen? Isn't that amazing? What a great question. Why would a God choose to, why would he choose stiff-necked people? People who struggle to listen. Is that a reason to walk away from God? Or a reason to walk toward him. God is in the business of choosing stiff-necked, stubborn, difficult people like you and me. People like Jacob, who are manipulative. He's a God who loves, who loves to welcome all the wrong people. Again, the Old Testament is a story of God's steadfast love for stiff-necked former slaves And it should leave us wondering, why did God choose them? And it should leave us wondering, most of all, why would he choose us? What makes me any better than anybody else? This morning, are you ready to surrender afresh to God's word? To listen to others? To walk in community with real friends who will really tell you the truth? Both to encourage you, but also to challenge you. So that together we can pursue the truth, a truth that will in fact set us free. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the riches of your word. Thank you for James and how he is so honest with us. Thank you for the beauty of the vision, the moral vision that he gives to us. He calls us to a nobility, to love those who are invisible, to minister, to help those who are hurting most, and to live lives of holiness, of purity, so that we can walk without regret. We can walk without shame. We can stand before you, a father, proud, and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, I pray that you would make us so thirsty for your word, hungering. Father, we have heard that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. And Father, I pray that we would meditate and memorize and revel in the joy of your word. Not mere laws and abstract principles, but a story. A story of a God who welcomes all the wrong people. A God who, walk, who shows us what real wisdom is. Who sets us on a path of freedom. Of not only being free, but calling others to freedom. Oh Lord, in this room there are persons who are just overwhelmed right now by the crises in their lives. Overwhelmed by the trials. They don't see, Father, how you're completing them. They're ready to give up. 
a struggle not to condemn you and condemn others. Father, how quick we are to speak. How quick we are to become angry. To judge you. When in truth, you are the great director of the greatest story ever told. And Father, some of us are walking, we are, we're walking through seasons or parts of that story in which we can't see your goodness. We can't see hope. We can't see a light. And Father, I pray that we would band together. I pray that we would walk toward one another. I pray that we would pursue one another, praying for one another. Lord God, there's so much pain even in this room. Father, so many I know, they walk in and they think, if only everyone else knew the pain, the loneliness, just the ways in which we have failed you and failed others. Father, I do pray that we would be a family, a family of hearers, ready to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Please, Lord, make us into a heal us. Heal us through your word that we might help those who are hurting and live holy lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.